It's good to be back. According to my computer, I last read the Bible here on March the 8th, 2020. And by coincidence, it was the exact same joyous reading that I'm sharing with you today. Psalm 100 can be found on page 597. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and give his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Thank you, Sue. Morning, everyone. My name is Nathan, by the way, if I haven't met you before. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 100. It's a great little psalm, isn't it? I'm going to pray and I'm going to get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series that we've been in together, considering who you are. As we come to Psalm 100 this morning, may we have ears to hear and minds to understand what you would have us receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Life, I think, is about looking for good. We're all in the same search, I reckon, all of us. We want to find good, even if we're just talking about visiting Coles and buying some apples. We don't just chuck any old apples into our bag, right, when we go shopping. We look for good, don't we? We pick up and we examine and we make sure that we get good apples. No one wants a bruised apple, right? When I, when I was at Bible college a couple of years ago studying to go into ministry, uh, my mate Brian and I came up with a bit of a ritual at the end of every semester. We decided we'd celebrate by sharing a burger. And we were in the right place because college was right there on King Street in the middle of Newtown. If you know anything about King Street in Newtown, it's kind of like one of the food capitals of Sydney. Like every third store is a food place. And so we were kind of spoiled for choice. And it actually made the decision kind of hard because there was like eight or nine different burger places that we could choose from. And we had to go between them all and work out which was going to be the place. Where was going to be the best burger for us to kind of celebrate um, the end of semester. We were looking for good. We ended up settling on a place called Moo Burger. And I think there's actually a Moo Burger here in Manly. Um, and we chose Moo Burger not just because their burgers were good, which they were, but because they offered the deluxe Moo. Now, they say deluxe and they actually mean deluxe. It's not false advertising. This thing's got three buns. It's got two thick Wagyu beef patties, each one with melted cheese on top. It's got bacon, egg, pineapple, beetroot, onions, tomato, and lettuce. Now, if you hear that description, go, oh, it sounds pretty standard for a burger. Sure, it certainly didn't look standard. <laughs> Came with three skewers in the top just so that it wouldn't fall over. Cost us 30 bucks each time. 
And every time you bought it, <clears throat> they'd bring it out, and they'd also bring a Polaroid camera and take a photo of you and put it up on the wall. That's how you know it was a big deal, right? Now, we weren't quite sure whether that was a wall of shame or a wall of glory. Uh, but after our extensive search for a good burger, this is the one that we settled on, and we have the photos to prove it. The truth is, we all spend our lives looking for good, don't we? I'm not just talking about burgers, obviously, but we're on a search for, a particular, for particular conditions of life that we've become convinced are going to best promote our happiness and our freedom and our flourishing. We're all looking for good. It goes for trivial stuff like unbruised apples or towering burgers or finding a parking spot in Manly on a Saturday. I don't even know if you were in here yesterday, but it was mental. It also goes for more weighty things as well in life, though, like maintaining good health or finding good romance, or securing a good job. The search for good even goes right down to the very farthest reaches of life's purpose and significance, because I think what we want more than anything else is to do a good job of living a good life. Who's going to say no to that? The problem, of course, is when it comes to us trying to work out what good actually is. Like sometimes we get it wrong, don't we? What we thought was going to be good after a little while turns out to be disastrously wrong sometimes. And if we're all just free to work out what's good for ourselves, what's good for me, what happens when what's good for me actually clashes or comes into conflict with what's good for you? What do we do then? Often the biggest conflicts and the largest tensions in our world or in our relationships with each other comes down to the fact that we answer this question differently. What is good? It's like a simple question and yet we often answer it in different ways, don't we? Well, Psalm 100 offers us an answer to this question. And in lots of ways, Psalm 100 is a, it's a simple psalm, right? There's not much to it. It's a call to praise, isn't it? You see that all the way through the psalm, if you're reading along with us. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 4. Shout for joy, the psalmist says. Worship the Lord with gladness. Give thanks and praise his name. Then in verse 5, we have the reason. For the Lord is good. That's pretty much it. The Lord is good. Good is a, is a funny kind of term these days, isn't it? It's kind of mild, a word to choose. Like, if, if you get a report card that has the word good on it, uh, you know, it means she's not excellent, she's not outstanding, she's good at geography. And for some reason, people the world over have kind of chosen this word, good, to be our non-answer. So my kids come home from school and you go, so how was your day? Good. Or someone, you know, you meet in the street, oh, how are things? How's work? Yeah, good. How are you going? Pretty good. 
It's like, that's kind of our default answer, right? But it's really a non-answer in lots of ways because it's, it's so broad that when we say it, we're almost not saying anything much at all. Now, that might be the case in the way that we use the word today, but it's certainly not the case in the Bible generally and, and it's certainly not the case in Psalm 100 specifically. It's a small word, actually, in, in the original Hebrew, the word tov, three letters. But because it's a word that describes God, these three little letters carry massive weight and significance. You might remember in the Gospels, for instance, Jesus is casually referred to by someone as good teacher, to which Jesus kind of takes them to task, doesn't he? Why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. It's interesting, I discovered this week that Jews in the ancient world considered this word, tov, good, to be so appropriate and authentic a description of the Lord that they actually hesitated to use this word in other contexts. There's nothing mild or non-answerish about good when it comes to the scriptures. And you can totally see that's the case in Psalm 100, right? Like God's goodness is the subject. It's the reason, it's the cause of all this shouting and singing and praise because God's goodness is worthy of our worship. And not just the worship of his people. Do you notice there in verse one, this, this is remarkable. It's not just God's people who are to shout for joy, but it's all the earth. In the Bible, good is a word that's often used of God, especially in the Psalms. And it's a bit of an umbrella term. It kind of catches up a whole heap of God's good qualities. We're talking things like his mercy and his truthfulness and his generosity and his patience and his grace. They're all kind of captured up into this one term. But here in Psalm 100, the psalmist highlights for us two essential elements of God's goodness. We're told it is for us, and we're told that it is forever. Clear as day, both these two elements are sitting right there in verse 5. Take a look. For the Lord is good, we're told. What does that mean? means that his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know what that means? God's goodness is not some abstract thing that just kind of sits out there or up there or wherever, just being. God's goodness is concrete. It's grounded in relationship. I mean, you take those two words, love and faithfulness, they don't make any sense outside the context of relationship. And therefore, to speak of God's goodness, the psalmist says, is to speak of of God's concern for the blessing and the benefit of others. For us, in other words. Now, before the creation of the world, before us, this was a kind of love that existed within the Godhead itself, love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then actually as an amazing and generous expression of his goodness, he goes and he makes us. And he gives us this incredible world, which means that every good thing 
<clears throat> excuse me, everything, every good thing that surrounds us, everything we enjoy and marvel at and appreciate about life, even just life itself, all of it is actually the overflow, the expression of God's goodness. It is for others, for us. The second quality that the psalmist highlights is that God's goodness is forever. He is always good, in other words. It's right there again in verse 5. We see that he has love, but this love, what does it do? It endures forever. God is faithful, not just sometimes, but his his faithfulness continues through all generations. It doesn't end doesn't take a break, doesn't run out. God's goodness is a constant of the universe. It's exactly what James, the brother of Jesus, writes in the New Testament when he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. How wonderful is that news? (laughs) Aren't we grateful to hear that God's goodness doesn't change. It won't dry up. It won't go missing. He won't just suddenly decide to retract it on a whim. It means there's no chance that he's going to one day wake up on the wrong side of the bed. It means we don't have to guess as to whether he's going to be the good cop or the bad cop on any given day. And it means that his goodness doesn't just kind of get switched off. It's always on. Because God's goodness, we're told, is infinite and it's eternal. That's amazing. God's goodness is for us and it is forever. We come back to that question we started with, right? The question we're all really asking in life, what is good? Well, Psalm 100 tells us that the better question is not what is good, but who? The Lord. And the Lord is always good. Now, to my thinking, there are at least three implications, if that is true. I'm going to spend the rest of our time just working through these three things. If that is true, the Lord is always good, then it means that we need to be people that abound in thankfulness. It means we need to be people who obey with confidence. And it means we can be those who praise despite the pain. Abounding in thankfulness. Well, Psalm 100, you might have noticed this, is one of the shortest psalms in the whole book. And yet, as you look through it, I could count at least seven different times that this short little psalm encourages us to express our thanks and praise to God. And it's a kind of expression of thanks that's not just looking him in the eye and giving him a firm handshake, but it's noisy. It's... It involves shouting and gathering and singing. It's the kind of thing that goes on here at church each week. Though admittedly, there's only a few of us who are singing at the moment. You see, this is a psalm not primarily for the solo Christian, but actually it's for the gathered people of God. And this psalm in particular has been used in that way for thousands and thousands of years, calling God's people to join in praise. 
And it's a reminder, I reckon, that we are actually in the business of giving thanks. That thankfulness needs to be the regular tune of our hearts. And it's a reminder that the scope of God's goodness is actually boundless. It, it kind of surrounds us in ways and in places that we don't even realize. Because if every good thing comes from God, just consider for a short moment how long that list must be. <laughs> Here's something you could try doing this week. Let's call it the thankfulness challenge. You could try and spend every day just making a list of the, the ways that God is good, both to you specifically, but to, to the world generally. Each day, spend as long as it takes to just exhaust that list. And then each day, try and list different things. I don't reckon you'll get to the end at the end of the week. I reckon you'll be able to list out every day different things. There's so many. Take just like the staggering intricacy of our bodies, for instance. Like the way that our bodies have been made to maintain themselves without us even telling them to. I find that remarkable. For instance, our bodies contain around 10 million different types of white blood cells and each one of them has been programmed to target a specific enemy. How crazy is that? Worship the Lord with gladness, the psalmist says. Or you can try going the exact opposite way and just marveling at the sheer size of this universe that God has created and marveling at, at his handiwork. Did you know that our solar system, if you were to, to take everything that you can see in the solar system, so we're talking the sun, all of the planets and their moons and like a billion asteroids, you collect all those things together it would still only manage to fill less than a trillionth of the available space in our solar system. That's how big it is. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Or as Australia Day rocks up this week, you know, we could consider God's goodness to our nation. And he's been good, hasn't he? The peace and the prosperity that we have enjoyed for so long the stability of our governments, our strong economy, universal health care, education, or just the way we've been spared from the worst of global recession and pandemic. We've obviously been far from perfect. And yet, wow, we live in a good country, don't we? We really do. It's a testament to God's goodness. Come before him with joyful songs, the psalmist says. Brothers and sisters, just as God's goodness to us never ceases, so our thanks and praise should never be far from our lips. And we here at St. Matt's, may we be Psalm 100 people as we begin a new year of gathering together like this, as we soon will be gathering in that new building that God in his goodness has given to us. May we be a community that never ceases to abound in thankfulness. The Lord is always good. That also means that we can obey him with confidence. As I said at the start, our world is often so confused and conflicted about what good actually is. 
we're looking for the good life, for freedom, for happiness, for flourishing, but we don't really know what the good life really looks like. Psalm 100 reminds us that the good life is actually found in knowing the good God. Take a look at verse 3 with me. It's a profound verse. Right here in the middle of the psalm, it says, It is he who made us. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He is the creator. This place is his. We are his. You know, God's not just the source of goodness, but he is the standard of goodness as well. Because, you know, it's, it's not the sheep who get to decide where the best place to graze is. That's the shepherd's job, isn't it? And the sheep don't get to decide where it's safest to rest. I don't know. It's the shepherd who knows that. If the sheep decide they're going to wander off because they know better and they go looking for good somewhere else, they get lost, don't they? Friends, our world is lost without God because we've wandered away, gone looking for good without knowing the good God, and it has been to our utter ruin. It is he who made us. We are his. Which means he alone knows what is good for creation, for us. Because it's he, him alone who brought this creation into being. So we can spend our whole lifetime looking for good. And we do. People do. Happiness, freedom, flourishing. But all of our searching is ultimately going to fail. Because the reality is, we know what's truly good only when we truly know the one who is good. The good news is, as we come to know him, the closer we listen to his voice, his word, the nearer that we draw to him in spirit, the deeper our knowledge of him grows. And as our knowledge of him grows, you know what happens? our grasp on what is truly good grows stronger as well. The closer we get, the more we come to know him and his goodness. It actually ends up transforming the way we see what is the good. I notice this in my own life. Over time, more and more, finding myself approving of what God approves of and delighting in what he delights in. It's beautiful. You know, if God is always good, That's got to go for his commands as well. Each one of his commands to us, each one of them is good. It was issued to to us by him for our good. Do you believe that? If God is good, it has to be the case. To know that the Lord is God, as the psalmist calls us to do, is to believe that truth. And it's to abandon our own idea of the good life and replace it with his. We do that by obeying him. We do that by living the way he's created us to live. God is always good, and that means we can obey with confidence. So let's do that. The final implication, I think, of God's goodness is that we can praise despite the pain. You know, the biggest challenge to the claim that God is good is, of course, the pain that we experience in our broken world. 
or the pain we have to watch other people experience and endure? How can we say that God is good when there's, there's pain and suffering in our world? How do those two things fit together? Well, there's no way I can even come close to saying everything you might say in response to a question like that. It's a massive question. It's a complex question. And it's a question I know we all feel heavily at different points in our lives. If you want to go a little deeper, you could start by checking out a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. That would be a good place to start. I can't say everything. I'll just pick one thing to say on this topic. In Keller's book, he puts it like this. If an all-powerful and all-wise God were directing all of history with its infinite number of interactive events toward good ends, it would be folly to think that we could look at any particular occurrence and understand a millionth of what it will bring about. That is basically the same point verse 3 is making in Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We're not God. So there's always going to be gaps in our knowledge and understanding of things, especially when that comes to the question of why. We're never going to know like he knows nor understand everything that he does and That's not a fault in the system, it's not an error or a problem, it's actually just the reality of having been created. And I mean, isn't the death of Jesus the supreme example to this very point? Because to every way of thinking that's available to us, to our own rationality, the brutal death of God's innocent son It looks to us in every regard as an act of unspeakable evil and ultimate evidence against God being good. How could he let such thing happen? And yet, time and again, the gospel insists the exact opposite, that the cross is in fact the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness, of his love and of his faithfulness for the world. Brothers and sisters, that is our true north. That is the light that still breaks through when everything else is in darkness. The pain in our world rarely makes much sense to created beings like you and me. But the cross proves it doesn't mean God's not good. The Lord is always good whether we can see it or not. Reminds me of a book I've been reading recently. And we'll finish with this. It's based on a story, actually, of something that happened to a friend of mine. It's called The Moon is Always Round. I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of it recently because it happens to be my two-year-old's favorite book at the moment. He's got a bit of a crush on the moon. He calls this the moon book. Even as I took it this morning, he saw me taking it and, it, and he got upset because he wanted to read it. It tells the story of a boy who marvels each night at the way that the moon seems to change shape so regularly. One night it's, it's like a banana, the next night it's like a slice of apple, the next night it's a shriveled orange or whatever, and so it goes on. And each night he looks up at the sky, at the moon, and he makes this observation. 
And each time that he does, his dad gently corrects him. The moon is always round, even if you can't see all of it. As the story goes on, the family gets ready to welcome a new baby sister. Uh, And still, each night, the father tells his son, the moon is always round. Even the night he finds out that his little sister won't be coming home from the hospital. The boy asks his dad, why? I don't know, he replies through his tears, but the moon is always round. At his sister's funeral, as his dad is giving the eulogy, he he stops for a moment, looks down at his son, and he asks him, what shape is the moon? The moon is always round, he replies. And what does that mean, the father asks? That God is always good, the boy replies. Friends, we can praise God despite the pain because the Lord is always good, even if you can't always see it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up our praise to you this morning for you are good, for your love endures forever and your faithfulness through all generations. We lift up our praise, Lord, to honour you and to thank you and to give you glory. And we pray, Lord, for all of us as we make the mistake of going after what the world is trying to tell us is good. When we forget your goodness and go looking for it ourselves, Father, we pray that you would find us that we will come back to your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your son, for the cross, and for its goodness to us. We can never thank you enough, Lord, for that sacrifice. We pray, Lord, for those times when we cannot see your goodness, that we might see your son, and despite our pain, still offer you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.